Welcome along, everybody. Um, I hope you're enjoying your little Psalms books. If this is your first time, just to bring you up to speed as to what we're doing, we're thinking about how to read the Psalms, but at the same time thinking about how to do kind of daily devotional and prayer times. So in our, in our little books, we've got three methods written in the front, uh, different ways, quite different ways, of approaching doing your own little Bible study and prayer time, and we're working through those, and we're back to having a go at method one again. So if you've been through methods one, two, and three, and you know which one's your favorite, and method one's your favorite, then you're going to enjoy this. Um, but it's a chance to go over it again, which I think is helpful, because maybe after a week you think, okay, I've just about got the hang of that, and then you move on to another method. So in your Bible studies later, we're going to use method one again on a new psalm. And as we're working our way through the psalms, you'll, if you were doing it today, you'll see we've just started book three of the psalms. And way back when we started, I gave a very sketchy overview of what goes on in the Psalms. There are general characteristics to the five books of the Psalms. And you'll have noticed, hopefully, that the first two books that we've been through, there's a lot about the king. Um, A lot of them are by David or addressed to the king. And the very last one in book two, it is a Solomon thing going on as well. So you see there's there's a lot that's really positive about the king and what he's going to do and his victories and that kind of thing. Um, But Book three does take a kind of darker turn to it, and you'll see some of that. You'll see things going wrong for the king, or things going wrong for Israel. Um, And so so watch out for that. See the the darkened tone, and that's helpful. That's important to have psalms like that in the Bible, which say, you know what, things go wrong. Things go wrong for God's people, um, but we have hope in our God. Keep watching out for the characters. I hope you've seen them. There's often the blessed person, the righteous. There's often the wicked, those who oppose God. Um, the king often turns up, and of course, God is there every single time. He's the hero. Um, he's the hope. And then in our talks, what we've been doing is thinking about different topics to do with how to read the Psalms. So we thought about the king. What do we do with the king? We saw that the king is both an example as the kind of true Israelite, but also the unique one who wins out battles for us. Uh, we thought about how do you handle those big, scary judgment psalms, which is calling on judgment on all sorts of people, and John talked about that last week. Tonight we're going to think about how we understand the Old Testament and the New Testament fitting together, and particularly how do you see Christ in the psalms? How do you understand that? Now, You could spend years and read many books doing this topic, and we've got 25 minutes, okay? So this is going to be stretching. I'm going to throw some things out, and if some of it makes no sense to you, don't worry. Hopefully there'll be at least one thing that we learn about how to look for Christ in the Psalms that you'll be able to hold on to, and we'll really open them up for you. But not just the Psalms. I'm hoping this is going to open up the whole Old Testament. So let me pray, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is pure and good and it it is so vast and so deep and i pray that we would have the energy tonight and the desire to go deeper to understand more that we wouldn't settle for the knowledge we have of your word but we'd want to be stretched we would want to know how to read better and understand more about your beautiful son jesus christ we need your spirit's help this is not an academic thing this is a spiritual thing we need you to help us to want your word and to love what we see there. So we ask for your spirits eye-opening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Luke 24, Jesus says this. He's walking with some guys and they've no idea what's going on because he's alive and that really freaks them out. And he said, 
Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Old Testament, summed up, law, law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms. So you know the kind of Sunday school answer, right? If you're, if you're reading a psalm and if, if someone says, so who's this psalm about? You know you're supposed to go, it's about Jesus. And it's hard to know how it's about Jesus sometimes in, in any passage in the Old Testament. Um, how is it about Jesus? We kind of know that's the right answer. How does it point forward? Uh, when you're doing your daily times, how do you go, your daily Bible times, how do you go from the text to thinking about Christ? How do we do it on Sundays when we're preaching? Um, Jonathan and I will always preach about Christ. Like we were in Proverbs on Sunday and we ended up talking about Jesus. How does that happen? How do we get from Proverbs to Jesus? That kind of thing. So this is going to begin to explore that for us. And this is really important to think about because you could think, well, I'm happy just to read the psalm how it is. I don't, why do I have to think about Jesus? Jesus says that the whole Bible is about him. We've just read that. Paul says it's all written for Christians. He says, all this was recorded for you. And so the richness of the Old Testament and the kind of ultimate truth of what it's pointing to, we will only get if we begin to see how it's about Christ. So it's really important. So this is going to help us go, okay, how is this psalm about Christ? How is it about the church? How does it apply to us as New Testament believers? Right, here's where we get to your beautiful picture on your thing. The baseline truth that we need to hold on to as we think about this is that the Bible is one big story. It's made up of lots of little ones, but it's all one big story about God's promise to restore the world and its fulfillment in Christ. One story with big promises, one big promise, I'm going to fix it all after Adam and Eve fell, and one big fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole Bible is that, one big story. God makes promises and he keeps them. Now, this is where the golfer comes in. This is the first and probably the last time I'll ever use a golfing analogy, okay? So enjoy it while it lasts. It's going to connect with, like, none of you. Right. (laughs) I don't even play golf, but this, this came to me. When a golfer golfs, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking cricket shot, because I was always told my cricket shot looked like a golf shot. Anyway, uh, when, he's, when he's teeing up, okay, imagine, there he is. I was going to say Tiger Woods, but uh, other, 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 Rory McIlroy, he's a, he's a golfer, and he does a big thing, which he hits it, and it's up in the air, and everyone can see it's heading towards a hole in one. Okay, woo, it's in the air. And, and the commentator says, this promises to be a hole in one. This is going to happen. And everyone goes, oh, gasp. Oh, you guys, that's good. They went to the drama. So I told you this to connect. And, and they're going, where's it going to land? Is it going to be a hole in one? And everyone's asking. And they're following it. They're following it. They're following it. They're going to see if it's going to land. And then, I don't even know what noise it makes. It's probably more like it, isn't it? Hole in one. That must be such an anticlimax. But there it is. Way. Apparently it doesn't happen very often. Now, so it's all a big drama. And then in the replay, they, they replay it, and you go back and you, you can watch the analysis of, of the arc of, of the ball heading towards it. And they go, yes, there it is, there it is, and the wind's blowing it. But ah, there it is. It's a hole in one. Okay, go with it, go with it. Now, I want you to see the whole Bible like getting a hole in one. God tees it off, all right? Go with it. In terms of kicking off that big promise, that big kind of promise arc, 
He says, I'm going to fix it all. And he starts it off in Genesis. And, and that, flat, as, as it were, the, the promise flies through the air and it builds and it builds. And the promise starts um, in Genesis talking about the seed who's going to come and crush the serpent. And that promise builds and it develops and it thickens and layer after layer is added to that promise. Talk of the need for a sacrifice, the need for a king, for a covenant, for judgment, for salvation, a suffering Messiah. And you see that promise throughout the Bible, build and build and gather and gather momentum. (coughs) And everyone gasps, where's it going to land? And they look and eventually, (laughs) hole in one, it all lands in Christ when he comes. And the whole package of Christ, his coming, his cross, his resurrection, and his return, it all lands in there. Promise, fulfillment. Now, and we're New Testament Christians, and we have the perspective of the action replay. Ooh, isn't this fun? So, the New Testament in many ways is is full of kind of action replay analysis, showing how all along the promise was going to be fulfilled in Christ. So like with the golf, they look all along, it was going to land. The New Testament looks back along that line and is able to go, look, look, it was all along, it was going to land. You can see it at the time, but all along, we can see now, it's going to land in Christ. So the New Testament writers and Jesus himself are very self-consciously showing how to do this action replay stuff, how to look back and see that all along it was going to land in Christ. So there are certain ways of reading the Old Testament, ways of following that arc along towards Christ and the church. And we learn how to do it from Jesus and the New Testament writers. So we can learn to see how the Old Testament is all about Jesus. Now, did you notice in the the bit I read from Luke earlier, what Jesus said, listen, everything must be fulfilled. There it is. He's going to fulfill it. Everything, the whole story that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus explicitly says, Psalms are about me. Hmm, interesting. Okay. So the Psalms aren't just these random things. They fit into this big, one massive promise golf shot into Christ. And so we can read every single Psalm and ask this question. How's it about Christ? How is it fulfilled in Christ? Because Jesus says they're going to be fulfilled in him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through these um, three different ways of reading the Old Testament big story arc and how they land in Christ. And with each technique, we're going to have a quick look at the Psalms and see how you can see it there. Okay? So here's the first way we can read the Old and New Testament together. And this is thinking about quotations in the New Testament, so where they quote the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, really straightforward kind of prophecy predictions, all right? So if you were to tell a friend or you would say to them, you know what, the Old Testament predicts that Christ is going to come, what you're normally thinking of are really straightforward prophecy, the Messiah is going to come, here he is, and the New Testament goes, that passage was all about Jesus, here it is. Kind of direct quotation prophecy things. So, for example, in Zechariah it says this, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. And then Matthew picks that up and explicitly says, This happened with Jesus when he rode in with the donkey to fulfill what was written by the prophet Zechariah, okay? So there was no other king that rode in on a donkey. This is all about the Messiah, and Matthew goes, that was all about the Messiah. 
Direct quotation. Do you see? Very direct, quite obvious. And this happens in the Psalms. The Psalms actually get quoted a lot in the New Testament. Once you start looking for it, it's all over the place. It's very rich. Turn over with me to Acts chapter 2. Page 1094. This is the first kind of sermon after Jesus has gone up to heaven. This is Peter preaching on Pentecost. This Sunday we're going to be celebrating the day of Pentecost. And he quotes the Psalms all over the shop. Acts chapter 2 on page 1094. So he's, he's talking about what David said about the Christ. Really interesting. So look at verse 29. Uh, so he's just quoted uh, Psalm 16. And he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here at this day. Don't worry about that. Um, but then he says this about David. David was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. So he's, Peter's saying David very self-consciously knew that there was going to be a king who was going to end up on his throne forever. He didn't know it would be Jesus, but he knew something. And so David kind of acted like a prophet making these kind of prophecies um, and then go down to verse 34 where he quotes Psalm 110 David did not ascend to heaven yet he said this is David said the Lord God said to my Lord hmm, who's that sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet so David refers to this other Lord there's God the Lord and then my Lord so David has this other figure in his mind who is David's Lord, and David's the big daddy king, right? And he says, this one's going to be enthroned. So David, at this point in Psalm 110, he's not always like this, but in Psalm 110, he's in prophecy mode. This kind of direct, this is about the Messiah mode. And so Peter concludes, and this is what we should conclude from reading Psalm 110, therefore, based on what David said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus... Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter goes, what does the Psalms tell us about Jesus? So David prophesied that, they, that there would be this Messiah Lord. It's Jesus. Very direct. Do you see that? Okay, so when you're in the Psalms, look out for verses that are quoted in the New Testament. Now, the Bibles we've got here are quite helpful because you have... Oh no, these ones don't... I've got it. Ah. If you have a Bible which has cross-references, they're often very helpful. And sometimes they'll tell you when it's explicitly taken up in the New Testament. Some of them you'll know. You'll come across, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, for example, which is in the Psalms. Uh, Psalms. Yes. 20. Yes. What? Sorry. It's it's it says at the bottom, in the New Testament, when the Old Testament is quoted, you'll have it in the footnote. But in the Old Testament, when it's used in the New Testament, you won't have the footnote. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh. So if you're reading the Psalm, you won't know. But if you're reading the New Testament... But you'll, some might be familiar to you. You'll begin to pick them up as, as time goes on. So look out for those explicit quotations. Okay, that's the first one. That's kind of the most obvious one in some ways. Next up, I want to think about types. Now, this is a bit harder work, but I think this is rich. And I really hope we'll open up the Psalms and the whole Old Testament for you. Okay, Typology. Types. Ooh, technical. It's okay. This is worth understanding. So... As the promise of God hurtles through the Old Testament, what, what, I, what it does, it takes on layer upon layer of 
detail as to what this promise looks like. And it develops into the full reality of the fulfillment in Christ. And those layers of promise are made up of those three things on your piece of paper. The layers of promise are made up of people, moments, and institutions. People, moments, and institutions. That's what make up the promises. And these people, moments, and institutions in the Old Testament begin to show how God is going to fulfill his promise. God doesn't just say, I'm going to fix it all. The Old Testament builds up the picture of exactly what that fulfillment is going to look like with these three different categories. So you need to ask, um, when you come to any part of the Old Testament, ask this. In this part of the Bible, or in this particular passage, how would you finish this phrase? Jesus is the greater what or who? Jesus is the greater what or who? That'll make sense when we're finished. Let's do one we know. A lot of us will know. Let's think about the temple. Because we've done the whole Bible of the temple, all right? If you've no idea what I'm talking about, it's okay. So we started in the Garden of Eden, and we said that's a place where God dwells with his people. Therefore, it is a temple, right? The Garden of Eden is a temple. This is an example of an institution, okay? It's not a person... Um, it's not an event, it's a thing that develops in the Old Testament, the temple idea. So you've got Eden, and then you get the tabernacle, and you see that it's kind of going, God, I'm, God's saying, I'm going to dwell with you, and at the moment it looks tabernacle and then it becomes kind of snowballs and becomes the full-on temple. You see the detail gets added and added to. And then eventually, we're not there yet with the temple, eventually we get to the second temple, we're not there yet, we're not there yet. All in one, when we land in Christ. The temple is all fulfilled in Christ, when he comes on and says, you want to dwell with God? You come to me. I'm the presence of God. So do you see, that's an example of an institution that starts, oh, tabernacle, that's fun. <laughs> but then it builds and it builds and it adds to the promise and lands in Christ. Now, to stretch my analogy, which is always a good thing to do, the ball bounces, okay? <laughs> on its way to the hole-in-one, the ball does bounce. Tabernacle, is that it? No. Temple. Is that Holy One? No, not yet. Second temple. No, Jesus. So you'll, you'll see it's, oh, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Not yet. It's like the ball bouncing, but eventually it's going to land in Jesus, okay? That's how the Bible works. So do you see how the temple isn't a prophecy? Yeah, there isn't a verse that goes, and the Messiah shall be the new temple. We never saw a verse that said that. What we saw was a picture of this institution building up throughout the Old Testament, fulfilled in Christ. Other examples, think about sacrifice, Passover lamb, the priesthood, Israel. These are all institutions that gather pace. Okay, next one, moments. The big defining moment for Israel being rescued is the... Anybody? Alice. It's the Exodus. That is the big defining moment for Israel being rescued. And the exodus throughout the Old Testament takes on this life of its own. Not just the event, but it gets used by all sorts of Old Testament writers to go, you know that exodus? There's going to be another exodus. A bigger and better exodus. A greater exodus. And it builds a life of its own, gets bigger and bigger. The ball flies through the air and then eventually it lands in Jesus. Jesus brings about a bigger greater exodus, not from slavery for, from Pharaoh, but from slavery to Satan and sin. Jesus is the greater 
Moses, the greater, brings about the greater exodus, do you see? So the exodus, we could say, hey, the exodus is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I thought it was about Pharaoh. Yes, it's all about Pharaoh first and all of that. But that gives us colour and detail as we look forward to Christ. You can do the same with the exile return. You can do the same with creation. Okay, last one for this. People, and this has got a lot of mileage for the Psalms, okay? People. Let's think about the king. We talked about him already, but I really want to nail this. So we've got institutions, we've got moments, we've got people in the Old Testament who find their fulfillment in Christ. The New Testament makes a really big deal about Jesus being the long-promised David king. So like we saw, Peter said it here, uh, David was promised by God that one would sit on his throne forever. David died, it wasn't him. Solomon died, it wasn't him. And then, particularly after those guys, the kings generally just sucked. So they clearly weren't the Messiah. But there was a, a, a role, a person, the Davidic king would be the Messiah. And they're waiting, they're waiting. Promise, 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 fulfillment in Christ. So it sets up this expectation for a David king, and then along comes Jesus, and the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew, if you ever thought that was boring, it's all about this. Jesus is the David king. He was born in Bethlehem, David's town. He's descended from David. He says, basically, I'm the big, better, greater David. Have a look at Mark 12 if you want to see that. So again, we're not just looking for explicit quotes and prophecies, but this image this person builds momentum in isaiah it's massive there's going to be this david king is going to be the messiah all in one in jesus turn over to psalm 21 i want us to see this and how you would use this in interpreting the psalm stick with it i know this is hard work it's really worth it So this is uh, one we studied in our groups a few weeks ago. Uh, It's uh, Psalm 21, page 553. Uh, It's a psalm of David, and it's all about the king. You see it in, we're just going to look at verse 1. So first of all, this psalm, hear me, is about David. We don't go, oh, it's about Jesus, so we ignore the David bit. No, you start with David, and then that tells you about Jesus. So verse 1, the king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. So it was true for David that he rejoiced in God's strength and he had joy in the victories God gave him. That was true for David. But we know that Jesus is the big, greater David. So somehow this is a shadow that finds its reality in Jesus. The ball bounces on David, bounces on Solomon, but goes all in one in Jesus. So this is a shadow, but we find its reality in Jesus. So... We can say, Jesus the king, just like David, rejoices in the strength of God. How great is Christ's joy in his victories. You know in Hebrews it says that Christ, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Do you see that here? That the victory of the cross gave Christ joy that meant he would go through it. Just like David, finding joy in God's victories. Is it about David? Yes. But ultimately it's about Jesus. So we can read it and say, it's about Christ, very rich. Now, don't know what you make of that, whether that completely baffles you, whether you think, okay, I I recognize some of that. This is something that does take a lifetime, really a lifetime to begin to see and build up. 
I'm going to reel off a load of them for you, okay? So Jesus is the greater king, priest, mediator, prophet, greater judge, greater suffering servant, the greater, you might recognize this, rejected stone that's become the cornerstone. He's the greater rescuer, the greater wise man, those of you who are there on Sunday, the greater shepherd, the greater Israelite, the greater Jonah, that's what he says. He says, someone greater than Solomon is here, Jesus says that. Jesus is the greater Adam. Those are the people. Institutions, the greater temple, the greater sacrifice, the greater law, the greater Israel. Jesus brings a greater covenant. Jesus creates a greater Israel, the church, to live in. A greater promised land, the new creation. To enjoy a greater Sabbath, eternal life. Moments, Jesus brings about a greater exodus, a greater return from exile, a greater flood through baptism. Greater creation, the new creation. You weren't supposed to write all those down, don't worry. Mm. But do you get the feel of it? Everything in the Old Testament, all these big, rich ideas, find the fulfillment in Jesus. Okay, last one for you, and this one's simpler. And if none of this has made sense, maybe you can hold on to this one. Final thing to remember is that Christ is God. Are you okay with that? Christ is God. He's the Son of God incarnate. So it means this, and this is very simple truth, but this will open up all the Psalms for you. Everything that's true about God is true about Christ. So every Psalm says something about God. And because Christ is God, it's also speaking about Christ. Everything the Bible says about who God is and what he will do is true for Jesus, because he is God. In fact, the New Testament says Jesus especially, uniquely, in a very clear way, reveals who God is and what he's like. So what is true of God in the Old Testament is especially, beautifully, clearly true of Jesus in the New Testament. So this is very simple and very broad. If the psalm speaks about God's power, then it finds its whole in one in Jesus' power. Was he powerful to give life? Maybe the psalm's about how God gives life. That's true about Jesus. Doesn't he give resurrection life? Or, or God's power over nature in the psalm. Well, if that's true of God in the Old Testament, it's true of Christ in the New. Doesn't he have power of nature over the, over the wind and the waves? Does the passage speak of, and a lot of psalms do, salvation in God? Uh, have you seen how, how often it says refuge in God? Well, if that's true of God in the Old Testament, is it not supremely true of Jesus in the New Testament that he is the God of salvation? That one's quite easy to see. He died for us. He <laughs> rose again. And if there's any hope in the psalm, that, that's why in your method, in step three, it says, what, uh, step three of method one, what hope is there? If there's any hope, and God's the hero, then Christ some way will be the hero of that hope as well. It will always be fully embodied in Jesus. And that's quite a big, broad one. So you can always find something true about God and say, well, that must be true about Jesus too. How is it true about Jesus? So, bear those in mind as you go into your psalm today, particularly as you hit point three, you might want to relate it to point one. Okay, step one is what's true about God, step three is what's true about Christ here. Okay, those, those are linked. What God is, what God does, Christ does. Okay, in that little box at the side, we're finished with this, just some very quick tips for you as you do this. Um, this isn't about um, pluck your imagination, just going... Okay, I've got to make something up. I know Jesus should be here. And your Bible study leader goes, 
how does this give us hope in Christ? And you're like, uh, the cross or something. You feel like, no, go with the text. The answers are in the text. It's never against what the psalm says. What's true in the psalm will be true of Christ in some way. Remember the ball bounces? Is it true about David first? Yes. Is it true about Israel first? Yes. But hold in one in Jesus in the church. And also, like I said, this takes a lifetime. We've had half an hour. It takes a whole lifetime to plumb the depths of God's word. So stick at it. But over time, particularly that t- the typology stuff, you'll, you'll begin to see it. Watch our sermons. Listen really carefully. See how Jonty and I are going from things like the temple or the wise man. Sunday we're doing Proverbs. And move through to the New Testament. Watch our method. Now you see now working out. Okay? Let me pray and then we'll go to our Bible studies. Therefore, let all Israel know and be assured of this. And Lord, I pray that we be assured of this. That you have made this Jesus, whom we in our sin crucified, you have made him the long-promised Lord and Messiah. And Lord, convince, I pray, afresh of this, that he is indeed the long-promised Lord and Messiah. May we worship him and find refuge in him, our King, our temple, our sacrifice, our hope. Amen. Thank you.